Well, what is up, Element Church? So thankful that all of you are here with us today. That includes those of you who are joining us via video. Uh, so glad that you're with us as well. If you're using Facebook Live, even if you're here in the room and you're not watching Facebook Live, but you got Facebook on your phone, if you please open that up. Click the little share button there. It's been doing a great job kind of spreading the word about what God's doing through our church here. And if you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. Uh, just so excited that you're with us as well. We're in week number two of a sermon series called My Advent. And before we kind of jump back into the series, I do want to take one final moment here to challenge us as a church uh, on what's coming up, the great giving opportunity we have coming up next Sunday, December 11th, called the so that offering. So that offering is our annual year-end offering that we take at Christmas time. And I believe there's no greater time to give than at Christmas when we celebrate the greatest, most generous gift that God has ever given his son, Jesus. John 3.16 tells us, for God so loved the world, he gave so that anyone who believes in his son Jesus can have eternal life. And that's why we give as well as followers of Jesus, that because we love God, we give so that people can hear about, put their faith in, and be impacted by the name of Jesus through his church. Our vision here at Element Church is to be a life-giving movement of people having such an impact that if we were gone, our communities would miss us. We are all about seeing people experience life in Jesus, being a movement of people for Jesus, and impacting people in the name of Jesus. And part of our vision that we are super excited about that we are launching in 2017, a part of our long-term vision, is we are launching into what's called I Heart Wyoming, and we are thrilled about this opportunity. So I Heart Wyoming, through that, we are looking to partner with and financially resource existing churches all across our great state to come alongside them, give them what they need to serve their communities in a tangible way so that collectively together we can elevate, expand, and reinforce the credibility of God's church. Our dream is in all 23 counties in the state of Wyoming. We've already allocated $50,000 uh, towards iHeart Wyoming in our 2017 outreach budget. We would love to see at least another 50 come in through the So That offering, making it an even $100,000 for 2017 that we are going to give away to other churches so they can serve uh, their communities in the name of Jesus. And $50,000 is not unreasonable. In last year's So That offering, we together gave $50,345 in the So That offering. And I would love to see us top that this year. I believe we can as a church. And so on top of I Heart Wyoming, we are also from the So That offering buying 250 pairs of children's tennis shoes. Then our missions team this next spring they're going down to Cochabamba, Bolivia. They'll be partnering with a group down there called City of Refuge, and they're going to take those 250 pairs of shoes and deliver them to children who are living in extreme poverty. And so we are partnering with City of Refuge to help them make an impact in their community as well. This offering is above and beyond our regular giving. And so I would encourage you not to, not to take your regular offering, give it to us so that, uh, that we would all pray. I'm just challenging all of us to pray, God, what do you want me to give? And then we'll be obedient to give uh, to that. As with our regular giving, there's a number of ways you can give. You can give right here in the service. That's one 
one way you can give. You can use the offering uh, boxes at the back of the auditorium or out in the lobby. You can give online, elementchurchwy.com, or through our uh, push pay mobile giving option. You can use that as well. So that offering is already open online and on push pay, and that will stay open through the end of the year, through December 31st. And I say this is kind of our motto about giving, that no one person can do everything, but we can all do something. And if we all do something, we'll end up accomplishing everything. So next Sunday, so that offering, I hope you'll come prepared to give. Okay, we've been calling the series, or we are calling the series, My Advent. And we're asking the question, what does Advent mean for me? But before we can answer what it means, I think we have to know the meaning of Advent. And so if you weren't here last week, I'll remind us again, it's on the screens too. The word Advent means arrival or coming. Usually, specifically, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. For us in the Christian church's context, uh, it is the arrival of Jesus at, at his birth during now this Christmas season that we celebrated. And we are using what's called an Advent wreath to help us walk through five specific meanings of Christmas and how they relate to our lives. And we, each candle represents a different meaning. We are lighting a candle uh, every Sunday, and then at the end on Christmas Eve, all of them will be lit. But uh, the first candle last week was the prophecy candle, or the candle of hope. And we said the Jews had hope because the Messiah was coming, but we have hope because the Messiah has already come, amen? That in the arrival of Jesus, there is Hope. And then today's uh, Advent candle represents the Bethlehem. It's called the Bethlehem candle or the candle of preparation. The Bethlehem candle or the candle of preparation. So here's the one verse uh, that is our Advent reading for today. This is not our main scripture. This is from the Old Testament prophet Micah. So from the Old Testament, God speaking through a man named Micah, he records this prophecy about the coming of the Messiah. Micah 5 verse 2 says this, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past, or literally one whose origins are from the days of eternity. So he has no beginning, he has no end. We now know this as God in the flesh. Jesus. So why is Bethlehem significant for me today? Why a candle, a Bethlehem candle? What does that mean for me? So I'm going to read to us now all of our main scripture, and then along the way I'll stop and make some comments, and then I want to talk to us after we read all of that about some dangers that I see from this main scripture. It's a challenging message today, okay? So I hope we'll be encouraged at the end, uh, but for the most part, this is a really challenging message, especially for those of us who believe in Jesus. Main scripture, Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 2. 1 through 12, all of them will be on the screens, all the verses. If you don't uh, have a Bible with you, you can use the screens or uh, version, free version Bible app. If you don't own a Bible, please don't leave without one. We give them away for free. We'd love for you to have one uh, and read it. And so you can get a Bible out at guest services before you leave today. Matthew uh, is one of the 12 original disciples of Jesus. So he's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He's recording events here just after the birth of Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 and 2 says this. 
Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands, probably Persia or Arabia, arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. Now these wise men, you may have heard the term before, magi. Magi were well-educated men who had devoted themselves to the study of philosophy, medicine, religion, and astronomy. So it's no surprise that if there was a different star that rose or some phenomenon in the heavens, they would have taken notice of that. And because they studied religion, they must have known from the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, in the book of Numbers, we don't have this one on the screens, but the book of Numbers 24, verse 17, a man named Balaam prophesied this statement, a star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. They believe, and the Jewish people believing will be the sign of a new ruler, a new king of the Jews. Matthew 2, 3 through 8 now. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. So apparently the wise men were asking different people all throughout the city about this star. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And now they are directly quoting Micah, the, the, the main script or the Advent reading we had before, Micah 5 verse 2. They are quoting this now. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men. He learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too, which sounds cute, but it wasn't because we know he was lying. Because if you read later on in the chapter, Herod actually sends people to Bethlehem to kill all the boys who were two years old and under. So he didn't want to worship this new king. He wanted to kill him, wanted to murder him. Matthew 9, 2, 9 through 12. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So three different gifts they gave, and this, by the way, is where we get the idea of three wise men. Hate to burst your bubble, but the Bible does not tell us there was three. We just know there was multiple wise men. We assume there were three because there was three gifts, but your nativity set at home is not biblical, I hate to tell you. Uh, so, so why do we say, why do we say there's, there's three or why, why do we sing songs, we three kings? Uh, because that's a lot easier to sing than we multiple kings of Orient are. So it just sounds weird. We wouldn't want to sing that anyway. And so we say there was Three, then it says this. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod because now their lives were in danger. So weeks ago, as I was preparing for this series and this sermon, I was reading through this passage and it just hit me that there are some dangers here I see that apply to all of us about being close to Jesus. And I know there might be somebody here today that you would say, close to Jesus, I don't even believe in Jesus yet. 
And that's the beauty of this message today, that all of us are going to fall into one of these dangerous places to be, which is all of us have a place in this story. Even if you don't believe, which we are thrilled that you are here, if that is you, you have a place in this story as well. You still get to decide what you will do with the arrival, the advent of Jesus. It is still my advent for you. So here's the big question we will hopefully help answer today. What are the dangers of being close to Jesus? What are the dangers of being close to Jesus? Because the reality is, I think, that we typically assume being close to Jesus will naturally lead us to a passion for Jesus, but that is not necessarily the case. And here is what I found significant in this story of the three wise men. This is significant to me. Bethlehem was only six miles away from Jerusalem. Six miles away was Bethlehem from Jerusalem. So here we have Jesus, the Messiah of the Jewish people, born six miles away from priests and religious teachers who were literally waiting for a Messiah to come. Six miles away from King Herod, who, like all of us, would be given an opportunity to put our faith in Jesus. Six miles away from the Creator and Savior of the world, yet they didn't even think they needed to go see if He could be, possibly, the Messiah. The priests... And these teachers of the law, they actually knew where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. They knew all of the Old Testament prophecies. If anyone should have at least gone to investigate, could this be the Messiah? It would be them. Here they were so close to Jesus, yet no passion to seek him out. So here's the big idea that will be a thread woven through the message today. It's on the screens if you want to write it down. It's this. Proximity to Jesus does not always lead to passion for Jesus. That proximity to Jesus does not always lead to passion for Jesus. Just because I'm close to him doesn't mean I will be connected to him. It's a difference. So here's the four, four dangers I see in this passage, and all of us will fall into one of these four today. All of us. Here's the first one. I can be spiritually aloof. Spiritually aloof. And I chose aloof because the other ones start with A, and if this one didn't start with A, the world would stop spinning on its axis, and so I needed an A word, and so I chose aloof. I could have chosen arrogant. You might want to write down arrogant. Arrogant fits as well. But I had aloof, and I don't want to change it now because we already have it all done. So if you don't know what aloof means, it means prideful. Arrogant could be a, a definition. Uh, distant. And here, here's why I chose aloof, though. Because when I hear aloof, I, I think that it's the attitude that I'm above them. I'm above that. That I'm better than that person. And so I had this awesome illustration all ready to go. I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you this rhetorical question. Do you know what I think of when I think of being aloof? And then I had three sports teams that I think of when I think of being aloof and I was going to share them with you. I'll share them with you now. And then I'll give you the illustration that I'm going to use. I was going to talk about how I, I have such disdain for teams like the New England Patriots and the New York Yankees and the Alabama Crimson Tide. 
because they are always so close to championships that they have just developed this attitude of we're better than you, right? And so I was going to use that and we're going to laugh about that because even Bronco fans can agree with me on the New England Patriots one. Can I get an amen from the Bronco fans? Like, yeah, but my Oklahoma Sooners, and I say my because they are mine, my Oklahoma Sooners, they played a rivalry game yesterday against their in-state rivals, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And if you don't know, Oklahoma waxed the floor. With, it was 38 to 20. They could have been even better, but they kneeled down at the end of the game. And so being the OU Sooner fan I was, I got on Instagram and I put a picture of the overall record between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. Uh, so I put on Instagram a picture of the record because yesterday OU won their 86th game in the rivalry. OSU in their history against OU has won 18 times. And we've tied seven times. So I put a picture of the record there. And then I put this Instagram statement. As I was driving home from our Christmas staff Christmas party last night, God reminded me that I'm the illustration for this point. So here's what I said. Call it a rivalry if you want. We will continue calling it what it is, total domination. Oklahoma adds victory number 86 in Bedlam. That's what they call the rivalry. Always, this is what I said, always good to break the hearts of Oklahoma State and their fans. Now on to a New Year's Day Bowl. Good luck to OSU in the what was that called bowl. <laughs> That's awesome. And you might be thinking, where are you going with this? Nowhere. No, I am going somewhere. Here's where I'm going with this. That attitude, that thinking I had about my football team. One of the dangers as Christians in being close to Jesus is we can start to become spiritually aloof. We start to believe that because I'm close to Jesus, I'm somehow better than someone else. The Jewish priests and teachers of religious law, this would describe them. They, they thought they were better than everyone else, including Jesus, when he started to teach in his ministry. Read the gospel sometime, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. These religious leaders in the day of Jesus, they thought they were the cat's pajamas, man. And yes, I did just use that phrase. If you don't know what it means, ask your grandparents, okay? They will tell you what it means. Uh, the, the only other phrase I had, I told my son, I need a phrase for when you think you're awesome. And the last phrase I remember using was the bomb. And he said, dad, please don't. Okay, so I'm not going to use that. I don't know what it is today, but for some of us, we are out of touch completely. So maybe Here's, I'm conjecturing, okay? Maybe the, the, the priests and the religious, religious leaders didn't go to Bethlehem because they thought, surely when God sends the Messiah, we'll be the first to know. He's not going to use magi from the east. Those are unclean people. They don't believe what we believe. They don't behave the way we behave. They don't participate in our traditions. They're not a part of our group. Maybe they didn't go to Bethlehem because they didn't want to be seen with unclean people. Hello. Or maybe they thought, well, we're the, we're the priests. We're the teachers. No one knows God's word better than we do. No one spends more time in God's house than we do. No one, no one follows God's commands better than we do. We'll just wait here in Jerusalem until God decides to reveal the Messiah through us because surely he'll use us because we're better than everybody else. We, we, we know what to say. We say the right things. 
And then Jesus comes along in Matthew 15, verse 8, and says this about these same priests and teachers. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You can be close to Jesus. That does not make you close with Jesus. So, So Christians in the room, can I just challenge us with something for a second? Just because we believe doesn't make us better. We're better off for believing. Absolutely, I'm better off for believing. But I'm not better. Church, we're not better. We are forgiven. We're forgiven. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. And church, that's what I was. Dead in my transgressions and sins. But because of Jesus, I now have life. I'm not better. I'm just saved. I'm forgiven. So proximity to Jesus does not lead to passion for Jesus. I can be spiritually aloof. It's a danger. Number two is this. I can be spiritually apathetic. Let's be apathetic. Maybe the priests didn't go to Bethlehem because they thought what they had was good enough. They had just enough, I'm just conjecturing, but just enough of God, because they were God's chosen people. I mean, the Israelites were God's chosen people. He would show up in the temple. I, like, I'm not saying that they weren't, that God wasn't there, but maybe they had just enough of God to make them feel good, but not enough to make them feel like they should walk six miles to find him. For Christians in the room, this one is the most dangerous one to me, being spiritually apathetic, especially here in America. Because I feel like sometimes in our freedom, we have grown so used to having Jesus that Jesus is just kind of commonplace. We get so used to to the freedom of going to church and gathering together and reading our Bibles and singing our songs and giving of our tithes and offerings and serving in our community. We get so used to having Jesus that we don't really see a need to seek him anymore. That we're we're, we're glad he forgave us and all. We don't want to take our faith too far. We don't get radical about it or anything. This is a weird transition, but hang with me. It makes sense. I don't know if anybody went shopping on Black Friday or if you went shopping on Thanksgiving night, which I don't know what they call that, dark gray Thursday or something, I don't know. But I, I, should, I should copyright that. That'd be awesome. I could be a millionaire on dark gray Thursday. Even rhymes. There you go. Um, I don't know if you, if, you, if you went out or not. Up until this last Thanksgiving night, I had never purchased anything on Black Friday weekend. I'm not against anybody you know, going out and shopping. I know there's great deals. I just don't want to spend my holiday weekend fighting the crowds or getting into a fight in a crowd, if you know what I'm saying. I just don't want to do that. Uh, but this last Thanksgiving, uh, I was there with my family. We're in our living room at our house. We didn't have anything planned for the night. We took, just kind of took it easy all Thanksgiving day. And I said, I said to my kids, I said, hey, kids, do you want to go to Walmart and watch all the crazy people? And they're like, yeah, let's watch the crazy people. So we loaded in, loaded in the van. My wife stayed home, had some alone time for herself to get away from these crazy people. And so we got in the van and we went out and we went to Walmart and we watched them when they did like the whole countdown thing. And there's people, you know, around pallets of toilet paper that was cheap or something. I don't know. And they're all rallied around, you know, three, two, one. Ah! I guess they're a good deal. And we went to Target. And then I have a friend that works at Michael's craft store. And so I don't know what there's going to be at Michael's. I'm not a crafty guy, uh, but we went to Michael's. And we walk into Michael's, and there in the middle of the aisle, as if it was calling out to my children, were these virtual reality goggles. 
My daughter texted me in first service and a picture of swimming goggles. And she said, Dad, these are goggles. That's a virtual reality headset. So we got this virtual reality headset. It was sitting there. And my kids were like, oh, Dad, Dad, get the, get the VR headset. VR says for virtual reality. I learned that. Get the VR headset. It's awesome. Yeah, dude, it's going to be so amazing. You're the best dad ever. We'll never ask for anything else in our life. Just please get that. I'm like, I'm not getting the goggles, man. It's Michael's. Why is Michael sell VR goggles? I don't know. So I, I said, we are not getting the goggles. I'm holding them, by the way, so you know the story. So we, we, walk, we walk all we, we loop the entire store, and we come back around, and I see the box. They're only $19.99. They're like 50% off. So it was awesome. So, so I looked at the box, and I'm, I'm reading about what they do, and I'm like, man, this sounds pretty amazing. And so we bought the, the VR goggles. You look like an absolute dork when you wear these things, but... Um, if you don't know, the, the, like for these ones, uh, it opens up and you put your phone in there and you close it and then you download VR apps, virtual reality apps, and it uses that 360 degree technology, which I have no idea how that works, but you know, you wherever you turn your, your phone or your face, like you're walking around, it's like you can see the camera moves with you. And the very first one I did was a skydiving one and you put it on and you're out there on the edge of a plane. You're like, Oh. And they have, like, they have like these mazes and the dinosaur world and whatnot. So we got these home and our kids literally played for hours with the VR goggles. They were looking up online how to use VR goggles. What's the best videos for the VR headset? And, and they were texting their friends, we got the VR headset. It's changed. Our life is so amazing. The next morning, the very first question, where is the VR headset? Uh, the next day, my kids had this on out in our yard doing a maze. It was hilarious. About four days later, I asked, where's the goggles? Nobody knew. Four days later, the passion. You're going to see this, parents, on Christmas, right? The passion wore off. Because the reality is, the more you're around something, the less appeal it has to you. Or the less use you have for it. And church, that's what I'm afraid we've done to Jesus. When we first put our faith in Jesus, it's like a brand new pair of VR goggles. That changes your life, man. You wake up in the morning, you want to be with the goggles. You tell people about the goggles. You learn about the goggles. But after a while, it's just it's old news. It's just VR goggles. We'll wait for the next best thing. Craig Rochelle, pastor of Life Church in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, said this, my great fear is that many of you are getting little snippets of Jesus, just enough to make you feel good, but not enough to transform you. I'm scared to death that there are some people who have just enough of Jesus that is keeping them from experiencing the fullness of who he is and all he's done for them. Wow. Jesus said something similar, Revelation 3, 15 and 16, then verses 19 and 20. Jesus here is speaking to a group of Christians in an actual church of history, okay? Revelation 3, I know all the things you do that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. Hot water is useful, cold water is useful. But since you are neither, well, since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. 
If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Notice, church, Jesus was not speaking to people who didn't believe in him. He was speaking to people who thought they were close to him. But Jesus said, bro, I'm outside the door knocking. Like you think you're so close, but you've gone so far. If you just, Jeff, open the door, I could come in again and we can eat a meal together as friends. That proximity to Jesus doesn't always lead to passion for Jesus. But the danger is I can be spiritually aloof. I can be spiritually apathetic. Number three, I can be spiritually averse to Jesus. Just reject him. This is where King Herod was, by the way. And so many people are here not necessarily in the service, but in our world, are in the same place. You see, King Herod had a throne. He was the king. And the news of a new king meant someone was evading on his territory. It was a threat to his throne. And so he would do anything he can to eliminate, reject that threat. And listen, we each have a throne as well. That spiritually in our hearts, in us, there is a throne And Jesus comes along at some point in all of our lives, perhaps right now, this is happening to someone in the room, I don't know, but Jesus comes along and he says to us, hey, I'd like to sit on that throne in your heart. I'm a good king. I'm a loving king. I proved it to you. You see, I'm the one that created you. I know the numbers of hairs on your head. I knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. But like everyone else, you decided to go your own way and sit on the throne of your heart. And I let you do that because I love you. I gave you that choice. And because you went your own, because you sat on the throne of your heart, you have sinned against me. And that sin separates you and me forever. Only I love you too much much to leave you that way. And so I came to get you. I came to bridge that gap. You see, I came as one of you. I died because of you. I rose from the dead to save you. And if you will put your faith in me, I will forgive you of your sins, set you free, bridge that gap that you created between you and me so that you can be with me forever where I am. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus does to all of us. But all of us at some point say, it's my life, right? It's my throne. There's a new king, Jesus and he's invading on my territory. And so I'm, I'm like averse. I'm rejecting that king. If I let Jesus sit on the throne of my heart, he might make me stop doing something I enjoy or ask me to do something I don't want to do. If I let Jesus sit on the throne of my heart, then I have to give him control. And he gives us the freedom to choose. And can I just let us all know this truth? Jesus is as close to you now as he's ever going to be unless you see him face to face in heaven one day. He's right here saying, can I sit on your throne? Because I died for that position. Passion or proximity to Jesus. 
does not always lead to passion for Jesus. So what are the dangers of being close to Jesus? I can be aloof. I can be apathetic. I can be averse. One more option, number four. I can be spiritually aligned with Jesus. Spiritually aligned. Now on the surface, this doesn't seem like a danger, does it? I mean, it seems like this should be the one that we're all like, yeah, that's, that's the one that we should be in. That's the one we should all pursue. So what makes this a danger? I want us to go back to the wise men in the story. Okay, remember the wise men. After they went to Bethlehem to find the child, after they worshiped Jesus, thus aligning themselves with Jesus, God warned them not to go back to Herod because their life was in danger. So here's, here's a spiritual reality or a physical reality to a spiritual decision. When you are spiritually aligned with Jesus, it will eventually pit you physically against the world. Make sense? When you're spiritually aligned with Jesus, at some point, you will come in direct opposition to this world physically we live in. For the wise men, it was King Herod. Jesus was a threat to his throne. So when they worshiped Jesus, he wanted to kill Jesus and them. And that will happen to us as well. Second Timothy chapter three, verse 12, the apostle Paul, not always an apostle. He used to murder Christians for believing in Jesus, but then he himself put his faith in Jesus, became an evangelist in second Timothy. He was writing this letter to a young man named Timothy in a prison cell in Rome where he would eventually lose his life for believing in Jesus. So here's Paul, a prisoner for Jesus said this to Timothy and ultimately us. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution. I understand we don't really face this that much in America, and we should be thankful beyond measure for that church. Like, we, we often view the negative comment about Christians on Facebook as persecution, right? Now, we understand there's a, there's a growing negative, I think, view of Christianity in our country. And the Bible says that will happen. But we got to just step back a little bit and call it what it is. Like a negative comment about Christians on Facebook, and we understand this, I'm just speaking it out loud, doesn't compare to our brothers and sisters in Christ today who will literally lose their heads. Should thank our lucky stars we're in America, folks. In fact, let me read to you from persecution.com, or persecution.org, I'm sorry. Now I lost it. This, was, this is from Voice of the Martyrs, persecution.org, I believe it is. They monitor persecution around the, around the world. This is on December 2nd. This article was written to call people to pray. A man who was imprisoned for con converting to Christianity has now been evicted from his village in Laos, Nigeria, for refusing to renounce his faith. Earlier this year, Boon Yang and his family came to faith in Christ after experiencing a healing in their family following prayer by local Christians. When authorities questioned Boon Yang about his Christian faith, he told them, I insist on following Jesus and will not go back to worshiping the old traditional way. Boon Yang was arrested on September 12th and detained for several weeks. Authorities then released Boon Yang on the one condition that he leave the village after harvest season and never come back. I want a faith like Boon Yang, church. I want to say, in my freedom 
or in my imprisonment. I insist on following Jesus. I insist. And I will not go back to that old traditional way, no matter what you do to me. I insist on following Jesus. I don't know about you, church. I want a faith like Boon Yang. Do you? That regardless of what comes against me, I can say, I insist. I insist. I already died to myself. You can't do anything to me. Kill me if you want. As Paul said, to be dead means to be home with Christ. I want a faith like Boon Yang. I want a faith like the Apostle Paul, who later on in 2 Timothy says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. I want that. I want that. And the only way I get it is to be spiritually aligned with Jesus. It might pit me physically against the world, but I'd rather have Jesus, as the old hymn says, than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world can afford. I'd rather have Jesus. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're here today and you have never put your faith in Jesus to be forgiven of your sins. I want to give you that chance today. So if that's you, if you want to put your faith in Jesus, would you just say this prayer silently? Repeat it after me in your heart. Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus. That he's the one who can save me. And so Jesus, I put my faith in you. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me new. I want to be aligned with you, Jesus. My heart's yours. Sit on my throne. You have my throne now. Thanks for dying in my place. I don't get it, but I receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here today and you just prayed that prayer to ask Jesus into your heart, would you do something bold and let me know right now? Just say, I just asked Jesus into my heart. Praise God, amen. Praise God, praise God, praise God, amen. Praise God, amen, praise God, yes. Awesome, praise God, amen. Awesome. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer... We'd love to know about it outside of the raised hand. So mark on your connection card that you asked Jesus into your heart. Stop by guest services, ask, ask for a next steps devotional, and we'll get one to you. It will help you take your next steps in Jesus. You need that. You need to walk with Jesus now that you've made that decision. Uh, also, got a, a, a next step for everybody. Tomorrow morning on my blog, jeffmanis.com, there's a new Advent video devotional. So last week's is still up there as well, a new one tomorrow that will take this message and give us practical steps on how to live it out in our lives this week. So I hope you'll check that out. I love you guys. We pray for you. Then Brendan has some closing words. God, you're so good. Thanks for, thanks for coming for us. And now we give ourselves to you. Lord, help us be aligned with you. In Jesus' name, amen.